Time to Travel with Karen Key. On the show this evening, we'll be heading off to the island of St. Helena with Michael Dean, and he's the director of tourism on the island, and he'll be giving us the latest on their plans to build an airport there, as well as about the many activities available for tourists. Craig Saunders, co-owner and director of the aerial cableware Heart of Beersport, will be chatting to us about the recent launch of this exciting new venture. And Annalise LaRue, owner of Senior Tours, will be telling us about her walking tours of Greece. And you don't have to be a senior to enjoy these tours. You just need to be reasonably fit. So that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Time to travel with Karen Key. I'm joined on the line this evening by Michael Dean, and he's the Director of Tourism for St. Helena. Now, this is an island that I think a lot of people, it's one of those mystical places that you hear about. Not very many of us South Africans have been there, but now it's opening up to the world. And to tell us all about that, I'm joined on the line this evening by Mike Dean. Mike, good evening. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Karen. How are you today? Well, I'm very well. Thank you. Rather excited because, um, as I mentioned to you before we started doing the interview, that I had been invited a couple of times to St. Helena, but I couldn't quite get it over myself to get onto the ship and take quite such a long sea voyage to get there. And now there's an airport coming. There is indeed. Um, the UK government have decided to build the island an airport uh, and that work is underway and will be completed probably early in 2016. So it's not too much longer to go? No, no, no. Uh, in fact, it, it's uh, frightening how little time there is. <laughs> now, up until now, Mike, the only way really to get there was on the RMS St. Helena, and that was in, involved quite a long sea voyage. It was, I think it was a week to get there, a week to come back, whereas now we can fly in. But what sort of impact is this going to have on an island? It is quite a small island of St. Helena. It is a small island. It's, it's only 47 square miles, so 10 miles long by 5 miles wide. But the, the whole strategy around our planning, both for tourism and for economic development, is, is very much that tourism is serving St. Helena and not the other way around. So we will be operating a cap on the number of tourists that will be allowed to come to the island so that we can manage all the things that people want to come here for in a sound and, and productive way, because there is a huge amount to do and see on the island and obviously we want as many people to be able to enjoy that as possible but not to the detriment of all those assets that people are coming to want to look and see. Because I think up until now you're averaging around about 900 tourists a year? Yeah, I mean with saints who come back as well, it's, it's about 2,000 people. Um, the cap that we're putting on is 30,000. Now, that sounds like a, you know, a huge, huge jump. But in fact, that works out at about 600 people a week. And that is no different to the number of people that would be on island, the number of visitors who would be on island, say, at Christmas time. And that, that the island can comfortably manage that and people you know, can go off and, and stay in different places. And, and our whole strategy is designed to ensure that people are spread around the island, um, that facilities are spread around the island, so that there is as, as little impact as possible. There will be impact. There's no doubt about that. You can't, you can't move from, you know, 2,000 to 30,000 a year without some impact. But the whole way we're planning this is, is to manage it properly as best we can. Now, the people who live on St. Helena are known as the Saints. And what has there been their reaction? Because I know in the past there's been a little bit of people haven't been quite that happy to, at the thought of, of increasing the numbers of people coming to the island. What is the feeling now? It's actually very, very positive. And as the different phases of the work have started, so as, as the, the first people arrived to do the mobilisation for the, for the airport, when the, the ship bringing the first equipment arrived, when the first bulldozers started arriving, each time that's, that's shown people that the airport is definitely going to happen, things are moving. There's a wider plan because, because part of the, the whole thrust of the airport is to make the island economically self-sufficient. It has been depending up until now very much on the UK. It does. The vast bulk of, of income on the island is provided by um, the UK government. 
So part of this plan is is to increase opportunities for saints to you know manage and develop their economy. Tourism is the key driver in that, but there's lots of other things that hang off that. So fishing and agriculture and service industry, construction and what have you, all the different things that that support the economy in a wider sense. And there are a lot now of people both on the island and people who who originally left the island, the saints who left the island, and are now looking at coming back again to, to set up or to run businesses on the island because they see that opportunity developing and, and they want to seize uh, those opportunities in Santalina and, and benefit the island as a whole from, from that activity. Now, the initial plans for the airport's runway, they've, they've already been adjusted to in order to accommodate larger aircraft. Does that mean that planes will be flying in directly to Santalina from all over the world? At the moment, we're still working on where flights are, are likely to come from and, and who's likely to operate those. But certainly the plan would be that aircraft like Airbus 319s or Boeing 737-800s would be able to fly in. So that, that would enable flights potentially to come from southern Africa and you know, potentially further afield. And obviously, smaller aircraft could, could come in as well. That still has to be finalised, but you know there are a lot of interested people seeing Santalina as a new destination opening up that has has not been accessible in the past. Well, that's now what, what I'd like to talk about. Is the, it's amazing the amount of stuff you can get to see and do on li- literally such a small island. Let's just go through some of the places to visit. I think I think a lot of us here in South Africa are aware that Napoleon was there. I mean, he was exiled to to Saint Helena, and we we have our, our we love it here, especially in Cape Town, knowing that one of our wines, the Van de Constance, was his favourite drink while he was um, exiled on Saint Helena. So we have a little bit of an attachment to the to the island. But other than that, what else is there to see there, Mike? Well, certainly from the from the South African aspect as as well, there are something like six thousand Boer prisoners of war were held here during the the Anglo Boer War. So there was. There are still um, locations that people can visit around that. Zulu King Dinizulu was exiled here as well. So from an African perspective, there's, there's quite a lot of interest. But if you're interested in birds, then there's fantastic bird life here. The environment is absolutely spectacular. It goes from literally desert to cloud forest inside five miles. There are plants and insects that aren't found anywhere else in the world. In many respects, from a historical point of view, the island encapsulates the whole history of the British Empire, because until the Suez Canal opened, St. Helena was a vital staging post for the East India Company for the ships coming back. And it's quite staggering to think that, that at one time there were a thousand ships a year calling at St. Helena. You know, that's three ships a day. So it's, it, it was strategically hugely important and consequently uh, the military history is staggering. It's all around you all the time. And then for those who like sort of sports and active sports, now the one thing we don't have are are beaches to lie on. So St. Helena is not a beach destination, but... If you like walking, there are lots of uh, lots of walks. Sport fishing is absolutely fabulous. Things like tuna, uh, marlin, wahoo in abundance. Scuba diving and, and snorkeling is world class. The, the water is very clear. There are lots of fish and, and interesting features as well as wrecks. You name it, there's all sorts of things. And, and as we move towards the airport, we're going to be bringing in a number of other more active activities on stream as the airport allows us to, to do that. We have a golf course here. Um, there'll be another one as part of the tourism development. There's lots and lots of things to do. I mean, our, our, our tagline is the most extraordinary place on earth. There are so many things to do in such a small area. Most people who come here, they leave thinking, oh, we, we really wish we'd had more time to do more things. 
The other thing, the, the one thing amongst many others that really appeals to me are all the old buildings, historical buildings, lots of those. I mean, you've got Plantation House, which must be absolutely amazing. You've got the Cenotaph. You've got the, the St. James Church, which is the oldest Anglican church in the Southern Hemisphere. I think it dates back to 1774. I mean, you've got the museum. There's, I mean, there's all sorts of these old sort of historical buildings. As you said, it's the history almost of the British Empire in one place. It is, and, and Jamestown, which is the, the main settlement on the island, it's very much like an English Georgian town, something that you'd find in the West Country of England or something like that. There are all these Georgian houses lining a big wide street. You know, there's a, a red Royal Mail post van that drives around and unarmed policemen on the beat and what have you. Oh, how um, nice. <laughs> it, it is like a little bit of England in, in the South Atlantic. The other thing I think that, that I was quite surprised by is, is the St. Helena distillery. You've got, you've got your own sort of unique brand, if you like, of uh, alcoholic enjoyments. Absolutely. <laughs> Again, an, an, an enterprise set up by St. Family, and that's a local spiced rum which is called White Lion, which is after a ship that, that sank in the harbour. Our own local gin, which is flavoured by Bermuda juniper, which is found on the island. And then uh, Tunji, which is made from prickly pears. And, and then um, not forgetting, of course, Midnight Mist, which is uh, a coffee liqueur, which is flavoured by Santalina coffee, which is one of the rarest and, and most prized coffees in, in the world. So, you know, these are not really available anywhere else. If you want to experience them, you have to get yourself off to St. Helena. Either go by ship or wait until the airport's there, not too long to wait. And the one thing that really fascinated me, Mike, was this heart-shaped waterfall. Tell me about that. It is, and it's, it's well, the first time you see it, you go, you know, it's one of those double-take moments. You go, oh, yes, actually it is in the shape of a heart. And St. Helena is a, is a volcano, or previously been a volcanic island. And the heart-shaped waterfall is on a cliff edge. And the way the water has cut the waterfall forms the top, top part of, of the heart. But the, the, the colouring and the shape of the, of the rock actually forms a, a, a heart shape. And there's a lovely walk that, that runs out of town up to the foot of the waterfall. It's a great natural feature. It, it, it's very spectacular. And the other thing, I mean, I don't know whether people are aware, but you have quite a, a legacy when it comes to things astronomical. Yes, Edmund Halley came here to plot the stars of the Southern Hemisphere because on a clear night, St. Helena is one of the few places in the world where you can see uh, the plough, the iconic sort of star shape of the, from the Northern Hemisphere, and you can also see the Southern Cross. So you can see both of those at the same time in the sky. So... He came here to plot the, the stars when they were first being um, plotted because obviously he could, he could reference the positions according to, to what he knew about the north. And the remains of his observatory are still here. You can walk up to that. And then Neville Maskelyne came, who was a, one of the royal astronomers, to do work on the transit of Venus. And most recently, the island itself has been sponsoring a dark skies audit here, which is something where scientists come and they check out how dark the sky is and how many stars that you can see um, and other features. Because there is so little light pollution here, you can see a, a huge number of stars. It, it's quite spectacular. When I lived in the UK, I lived in a fairly rural part of the UK, so I could see a lot of stars, but it, it doesn't compare to, to what you can see here. The Milky Way is absolutely fabulous, and there are all sorts of, of other features that, that you can see with the naked eye. Well, Mike, as you said earlier, you know, it's not somewhere to come for a couple of days. This sounds like quite a long stay in, on St. Helena. So, oh, I mean, they can come for a short time. They just have to come back. You know, but it's not a one sort right. of trip by, by all accounts. If you can't afford more than a, a week or two, you're going to have to do that and then come back again a second time so you can see the rest of it. That's right. We're, we're more than welcome to have people as many times as they want to come. And what about accommodation, Mike? Are you geared for uh, this influx of tourists accommodation-wise or are we going to see a lot more building on the island of more accommodation facilities? The tourism plan that we have in place has identified um, a couple of specific sites where we will allow larger developments to take place. One of those is already in the planning stage. 
and, and work is progressing on that side and we have interest in, in the other side. But there are a number of other sites and properties around the island, particularly in some older traditional properties that would make really nice boutique hotels. And we're encouraging people, either saints or, or investors internationally, to look at that because the idea is to spread the tourism around the island. There's some really ideal opportunities for boutique hotel-type businesses that can put a, a real distinct flavor offering in the accommodation. There is accommodation currently. There are a number of hotels and that's self-catering accommodation as well. So there's already a mix on which to on which to build, and we're focusing very much again to protect the environment and what have you to pr- provide the sort of tourism experience we believe our visitors want to have. Is very much focusing on green building methods and and sound sustainable measures, so that rainwater harvesting and working in conjunction with local growers to provide produce for the kitchens and things like that. So the whole thing gels together and provides a truly sustainable experience for the people who want to come here. I think that is always the concern with a place like St. Helena, which it's the mystique of the island, you know, it's the, it is the isolation of it and, you know, the smallness of it and the, the almost, um, well, the uniqueness of, as you say, of, of an island like that. And you sort of wonder, well, I do anyway, I wonder if, if this influx of tourists is going to take anything away from that. I hope it doesn't. I would, I would hope our, pla- our plans are designed to minimise that. I, I think it, it would be untrue and unfair to say there will not be any changes and there will not be any impact mm. because inevitably that's going to happen. You're bringing the world a, a little bit closer to the island than it is currently with an airport. But you know we're working very hard to make sure that everything we do is done in a, in a sustainable manner, is done in a, in a way that protects the assets that people are coming to see, whether those are, are, are built heritage assets or, or the natural environment. Any developers work closely in harmony with the environment to ensure that, that any building they do blends in, doesn't stick out. Um, we're not creating enclaves or anything like that. We're spreading people around. Hopefully that will ensure that tourism as it moves forward benefits the island and has as little impact as possible other than bringing a new economic lease of life to the island. Well, Mike, I must thank you very much indeed for your time. It sounds like a wonderful plan, and I'm so pleased that the island is being opened up to so many more people to come and enjoy this, as you say, unique destination. It's a one-of-a-kind place. You're never going to find anything like this anywhere else in the world. So, I mean, for people who are a little jaded by travel, you know, you go to the same old place every time. Well, here's something. Put it on your bucket list. For When was it, Mike, 2016? 2016 is the airport, but, you, you know, the ship is still operating in the meantime. Absolutely. And if people want to a real travel experience, then now is the time to come while the ship's still operating. That full experience of travelling to somewhere remote that you can only get to currently by ship. So if you you can get to the Antarctic far quicker than you can get to St. (laughs) Helena. Well, if you want to have the ultimate experience before it's opened up by the airport, if you want to still go, as Mike says, and enjoy the real Santelina, well, it'll still be the real Santelina later on, but this is the one where you can only get there by ship, and that's on the RMS Santelina. So if you want to still do that, um, again, Mike, will all the information about the island, all the ways to get there, everything they need to know on your website, santelinatourism.com? It is indeed, yep. And uh, there are links there as well. So if anyone's got any queries, they can uh, contact us by email and we'll be more than happy to to answer any specific queries as well. Well, Mike, thank you so much indeed, and good luck with all the new developments happening on the island. Thank you very much indeed, and I look forward to seeing you here in 2016. absolutely. I was talking there with Michael Dean. He's the Director of Tourism on the island of St. Helena, and if you'd like to find out more about this amazing place, have a look at their website. It's www.stelenatourism.com. And remember, if you'd like to go now, you can still get there via the RMS St. Helena by ship, or you can wait until 2016, but I don't know why you'd want to wait. But if you want to wait, 2016 is when the airport's opening up and you can just fly in there and jet in, but you can't just go for a day or two. This is somewhere where you have to go for quite a while because there is so much to see. Absolutely amazing. So just a reminder, the website, www.santhelenatourism.com. Time to travel on SAFM. 
And I'm sure lots of you will remember the old Hartbeersport aerial cableway, which closed in 2005 after it fell into disrepair. Well, it's back bigger and better by all accounts. And to tell us all about that, I'm joined now by Craig Saunders, and he's co-owner and director of the aerial cableway Hartbeersport. Craig, good evening. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Gordon. I'm sure all of those that remember the cableway must be delighted that it's back and, by all accounts, as I said, bigger and better than it ever was. Yeah, I think the cableway goes back to 1973 when it was originally installed um, out in Harties, and it had a, a huge following that went over the years. I mean, we even to this day, we have a lot of uh, grandparents and, and parents who, who remember it and want to bring it through the grandkids and actually relive those uh, early experiences that they had as kids. So, yes, it's, um, we, started, we started a revamp in um, 2010, and we've been busy with it literally for the last two years from, from bottom up just to, to bring it up to uh, current and international standards. Now, you've got these fabulous modern Swiss cable cars. Are they something similar to what we have at Table Mountain, that same kind of thing? <clears throat> Not really. It's made by the same company, a company called CWA. They're an international. They're probably the only cabin manufacturers in the world that provide all the cabins throughout the world. But the, the Cape Town one essentially is, a, if I'm not mistaken, it's about a 65-person um, or passenger mm, it's car. Big. And it's a, mm. two individual cars. One goes up at the same time as the other one comes down. The, the, the system that we've employed into, into this system is pretty much the same as that you'd find in a ski resort somewhere in the, in the Swiss Alps or up in uh, Canada or North America in some of the ski resorts there. And it's a basically called a gondola. It's a six-seater cabin, and we've got 14 of those that basically do the same job. But it's a bit more of a personalized experience. Instead of having a, a, sort of a, um, a group uh, of, of 60 going up, you've got uh, six people going up the cabin. So, it's, as you say, it's a much more intimate sort of experience going up. And I assure you, they come going up and down together at the same time. So, there's, you know, they can move quite quite a lot. You don't have to stand and wait for the car to keep yeah, coming back. I think uh, <clears throat> I've actually just on the weekend we came back from, from Cape Town just to experience that, that one again because it's always nice just to compare and to see and to share some of the experiences and some of the um, expertise in it and just have a look how best one handles flows and people and, and movements. And, you know, the... The, the, the realistic thing or the, 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 the factor about us as, um, as South Africans is that a lot of the time we actually don't like waiting. Oh, no, don't, you know? definitely don't like doing that thing, <laughs> Absolutely. no. <laughs> so, you know, you get down to Cape Town, the people stand in an hour and a half or mm. two hour queue and still go to the top of the mountain and you don't hear a chirp out of them. But, you know, us, us <laughs> South Africans, we've been pretty much spoiled. But, so we obviously went down there just to see how they manage their flows and how they manage their people movement. And we've got, we've got a similar capacity. I mean, as I said, there's 14 cabins going up per, with, with six in each cabin. So, you know, if, if one stands in a line, if in a really peak period, I'd say normally lunchtime is around about 1 or 2 o'clock are really, really busy, busy periods. But, you know, if one gets there, it tends to get there a little bit earlier or, or tends to go up on the, in, in the cableway a little bit later in the afternoon, obviously, most times it isn't a queue, but just so you know, you land up with critical air periods like on a, on a Sunday or public holiday, and sure, you're going to wait a bit. But there's a, there's a delightful restaurant at the bottom, a Bugatti's restaurant, which is a franchise restaurant, and then there's the same at the top. There's a Bugatti's restaurant and a, a, um, a pizza shack at the top where people basically um, experience it a little bit different. People experience the, the, the Hardy's cable way a little bit different to the, to the um, Cape Town. You know, um, traditionally the people um, go up to Cape Town and spend an hour or so, hour and a, hour and a half max, because normally there's a bit of wind or it's a bit cool or whatever it is, so they grab something to eat, take their pictures, do a little bit of a walk down, walk around and then come down. And we find a little bit of a different lifestyle. We see it, it tends to be a bit more of a lifestyle experience where people spend two or three hours up there and actually have a lunch and sit out in the sun and because our weather is obviously and our climate is a little bit more conducive to to that sort of uh, experience. I was going to say the one thing you I don't think we'll have to worry about as much as we have to do down here in Cape Town is this incessant wind. And if the wind is too strong, the cable car can't run. And I don't think you have quite the same level of wind that we do down here in oh, Cape yeah, Town. Absolutely, I was uh, I was talking to the to the CEO of Cape Town Cable, and she said they've probably got about a hundred days of the year. Where they can't operate because of the wind or mm. because of the cloud cover, and I mean, I think on the, you know we, we just don't realise how, how lucky we are here in the high salt. Is that even in, even on the winter days, you know, you get those crystal clear days, but it's really out in the sun and out of the little bit of out of the breeze. It's actually quite 
quite stunning. Even our winter days are beautiful up here. The thing as well, though, Craig, is that you've got so much going on there. I mean, as you said, we go up Table Mountain, we walk around, have something to eat, take some pictures, or if we're going to be very energetic, they could hike down, you know, one of the gorges. There's lots of hiking trails. But you've got so much going on up there. I mean, you've got the adventure centre, there's paragliding and hiking, and as you said, all the shops and things, there's the Dussie Walk and the Kids Zone play area. you've, You've literally just made this a destination in itself. I think I think that's that, that's essentially. I mean, by adding by adding the, the little add-ons onto it, obviously gives us value for money. But uh, you know, we've seen it in other products around Hardy Best. But then people make a make a day out of these sort of activities. It's, you know, unlike Cape Town, where they do try to do four or five activities in a day, they do maybe a shark diving, they do a the waterfront, they do Table Mountain, and they still do you know another one or two shopping activities. They try to get in as much as they can because. of of the limited time factor, but we're finding yeah, certainly up here is that people choose it. And, you know, being a, a cost-effective outing, um, you know, the adult rate is 120 rand per adult. So, you know, one essentially can actually entertain and, 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 and still do a meal up the, uh, on top of the mountain and actually have a great day out, and it's relatively inexpe- uh, inexpensive compared to some of the other activities that are around. But the other thing as well is your, your location where you are in Heart to Heart, Beersport. I mean, that area is it's like a gateway to that whole sort of Hearties area. And there's so much going on there. I mean, you, you're quite close to the cradle of humankind. And there's all sorts of, there's the DeVault Cheetah Farm, mm-hmm. the Elephant Sanctuary. I mean, there's lots of things to do in and around the area itself. If you Once you've done the cable ride, you can still go and enjoy the day quite close Absolutely. by. Absolutely. I mean... Uh, you know, just in terms of activities, I think there's a few other sites. I think uh, maybe Cape Town's one of them, probably Nisner's the other one, where one can actually get multiple activities in such a short, sh- you know, short span or sh- such a short traveling distance between activities. So, you, you know, if anyone from a, from a wildlife experience wanted to do something, do anything on a, on a historical or, as you say, intro, just in terms of the, the, the cradle of mankind and, you know, the historical side of Stagfontaine and the caves and Wonder Cave, there is a huge amount to, to do, and one doesn't have to travel long distances to do it either. The other thing, I don't think, I don't know how many people are aware that you also have conferencing amenities at the Cableway as well. Mm. There is a, yeah, there's a, a beautiful big banqueting at the moment. It's called the Great Hall while we're busy still um, decorating and whatever it is. But it's quite a grand old building. I mean, even the Cableway, you know, when we set up, set up to, to redesign it and actually put it back on the map, a lot of thought went into how one would position it in, in more of a traditional light. Instead of actually going all the high-tech glass, aluminium, whatever it is, the base station and the top station are quite, where well, one will see they're actually very tastefully laid out in terms of natural, natural rock, wood, you know, traditional red brick, just to give it that, that sort of historical, earthy, earthy feel that one feels quite well-grounded and, 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 and feels quite traditional. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it, it was one of, you know, just in terms of the elements, it just it fits itself well into, in, into the community and fits it well back into the architecture, and that's what we've tried to achieve. Great venue for weddings, Craig. It is, hey? it is. And, you know, we were thinking, we're, obviously, we wouldn't really like to have a grand wedding on top of the mountain because, obviously, you know, it certainly comes summer months and you suddenly land up with wind and weather and mm. whatever coming up. So, you know, what we try, what we try to promote is that, People go up to the top, they have a there's, a, there's a lookout bar on the end there that people have some cocktails and people have a little bit of fun at the top there with, with their group and essentially then come down and actually do the activity in the, in the conferencing, banqueting facility, which then at least one can sort of um, predict the weather because one doesn't really want to be trapped with 120 people no. on top of the mountain and suddenly <laughs> land up with a storm coming up. So that's obviously just a consideration we have to do and take in mind, obviously, so the safety side comes first. But... Uh, you know, I think it's probably quite quite limited in terms of um, you know I, I don't I don't foresee that we'll have those sort of those um, those sort of weather impacts on on the facility. But obviously, when one wants to prepare for it, that's why we encourage people if it's a if it's a bigger a bigger fair or a, a big group that you now over 20, 30, 40 people, then one would start looking at the banqueting down at the bottom and then just do the activities at the top there. And uh, yeah, it's very tastefully laid out, and I think it's quite a grand affair. As our brochure says, yeah. So there's there's quite a lot that you can do. As I said, conferencing, <coughs> weddings, all sorts of corporate functions. I mean, it's, it's the ideal destination. And it's what, about 45 minutes outside of Joburg? Yeah, um, from four ways, I'd say 45 minutes from, from Pretoria, probably the, probably the, the, the same amount. Um, there's obviously two ways to get, get there. Sometimes people talk about the, the congestion at the tunnel. But actually, if you come from the Lanseria side, 
uh, you actually can buy bar- bypass the, the the tunnel via Pelindaba. So it's actually you know similar um, a similar distance either way around left or right. But there is actually an easier way that one doesn't have to go through the tunnel, especially on those Sundays when you get to twelve, one or two o'clock, and this the tunnel is really congested. So there's, there there are alternative alternative routes that one can actually circumvent and short circuit that um, some of that congestion. You open seven days a week. Yeah, at the moment, yeah, we open seven days a week. The first car goes up, um, the first, the first uh, gondola goes up at about, uh, at the moment, at nine o'clock. We're going to look for certain public holidays and weekends to extend the operating hours. But at the moment, you know, it's, it's, it's still relatively new. We're finding, a, we're finding our niche and just finding out what the demands and the needs of the people are. Initially, we were going to open up really early, but we're finding really our first visitor, visitors are really arriving there around about, Nine, half past nine. But it might well change, you know, coming to the summer season that people want to get a little bit, get up there early. I mean, there's some, some early morning shots that I've, uh, photographs that I've taken up there with a mist over the hollow of Bears, but damn, it really looks like something special out of, out of Switzerland with the cloud actually below you. So there's some, some, some great photo opportunities as well. And you know, there's, you know, later in the afternoon, it will, I suppose it would also be delightful to sort of experience the sundown up there in the mountains. So we're looking, Late in the year to extend some of the hours on Friday and Saturday night into into early evening and looking at possible um, as a uh, looking at the venue as a possible dinner venue, possibly operating even into the night. So we're just we obviously exploring those those uh, opportunities at the moment as well. You mentioned earlier that it costs adults 120 rand per person. Children four to 14 years will pay yes. 60 rand, but you can actually get that price down if you book online. Exactly. There's a there's a, a really nice little easy link off our website, which is the www.hartyscableway.co.za. On that link, you'll find a book your ticket here, and there's a link in called Web Tickets. And one can go up there, go on there and very quickly, within a couple of steps, have paid for your ticket. You can actually print your ticket out either off on a, on a printer, your home printer. Otherwise, you can have the barcode sent through to your cell phone, and we can actually, when you get to the cableway. You don't actually go, have to go to the ticket office. You could actually go straight and jump into the queue or jump into, onto the ramp and wait for turn, and we'll actually scan off either your cell phone or if you have printed out a, um, a, a copy of the receipt, it will have a barcode on. We scan it, and, and basically that's as simple as that. You'll actually, that, that will cost you only 100 rand, and then obviously the, the child rate also, um, drops as well down to 50 rand per. So, per yeah. so there is a saving in there, you know, especially if you've got a family of five or six or seven, it starts making a little bit of a difference. Okay, I like the part about jumping into the queue and not having to stand in the queue. <laughs> I like that part especially. So as we said, 120 rand for adults, 60 rand, 4 to 14 years, but down to 100 for adults, you're saving yeah. 20 rand for there, and exactly. you're saving 10 rand per child if you go and do it on the internet, and you can also jump in the queue once you've got your barcode scanned. Mm-hmm. Craig, it sounds like a wonderful new destination up in Gauteng, and I'm sure you're going to be extremely busy come summer, and I'm sure you're busy already, but uh, have fun, enjoy, and um, thank you so much for your time and telling us all about it this evening. Excellent. Thank you so much, and we'll see you soon. Thanks so much. Craig, Craig you Bye. too. Bye-bye now. Bye. Craig Saunders is the co-owner and director of the Aerial Cableway Hart Beersport. And for more information or to book online, as he said, visit www.hartyscableway.co.za. You can also like them on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Hartys Cableway. And if you do that, you'll get regular updates. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, I'm joined in studio this evening by Annalisa LaRue, and she's the owner of a company based in Franchuk here in the Western Cape. It's called Senior Tours. And I just want to find out from her in a moment whether we have to be seniors to go on these tours because she takes you to the most amazing, amazing places in Greece. Annalisa, good evening. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Karen. Good evening to you and, and also to the listeners. And also, uh, thanks for inviting me to Time to Travel. And then to the Greek listeners out there, Kalispera. Oh, Which okay. means good evening. <laughs> okay. no, I had to do that. Karen. No, you did. I just had no, to you do had it. to do that. Senior tours. Do we have to be seniors to go on these tours? Mm. What is the age range of people that go on your tours? Karen, people of any age can go, as long as you're hiking fit. Well, that was Walking my next fit. question. How yeah. fit do we have to be to join you on these tours? Well, my Greek guide gives it a B grading. 
Well, if you've done the otter trail or uh, the whale route, it's not that difficult because we, we don't speed from point A to point B. It's a very mountainous area, but we stop and we look at the plants. It's in the uh, springtime and we look at the plants and just bear in mind where we go are actually bears and also wolves. So we look for bear paw prints. Sometimes we see the paw prints of the mother and the baby. You can even see the fingernails of the baby. So it's very relaxing and anybody can join as long as you are hiking fit. Is this one of those hiking trails that you would call what they call now slack packing, where your all your goodies are actually taken from point A to point B for you? You just take your necessary small little rucksack when you're walking every day. Yeah, that's right, Cara. And in your rucksack is your water bottle a warm jacket, your camera, your sunscreen, and your hat, and that's it. And these, how often do you take these tours? Karen, I go to Greece as often as possible, but I love going there in the springtime. It's very soft. It's just fabulous in springtime. In northwestern Greece, we're very high up because, as I said, it's a mountainous area. We're in the Pindos Mountains, actually. It's running from Albania right to the center of Greece. And it's cooler there. It's much cooler than the rest of Greece at that time. But it's just fabulous. It's soft. You can walk with short sleeves and short pants or knee pants or as long as you're wearing pants. <laughs> that is always a good you, thing. <laughs> you might be panting whilst you're walking, but you have to wear your pants. How big is the tour group? How many people do you take? Karen, I can take up to 24. That's the maximum amount. Maximum. We stay in small villages. So in some of the villages, uh, the group splits in two. We stay in the same village, but not in the same place of accommodation. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. We must remember it's small villages, very, very small. Just something interesting. There are 44 villages in northwestern Greece, in this area where we, where we have the what I call the flagship of the walking tours in Greece. Those 44 villages are near a ravine, and the road link was actually completed in 1984. So you can imagine Gosh. the people had to make do. The streets are of stone, the houses, the walls of the houses are of stone, the roofs are of stone. So the villages are very, very small and sort of compact. And uh, th that's why, you know, we can't accommodate everybody in one single house. It's actually rather nice because you're getting to stay with the locals and it's that whole authentic, authentic Greek experience. You're not staying yeah. in some five-star yeah. hotel somewhere. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's, it're really yeah. the real yeah. Greece you're yeah. seeing. Absolutely. What the hikers will see is, I mean, people are living with very basic stuff there. But that is very traditional. You know, the traditional Greece. You will see the ladies, the widows wearing black because if you're in Greece, the, like the custom used to be, if you're in Greece, or, or the custom still is amongst the older generations, if and when your husband dies, you wear black until your children become orphans. In other words, when you pass away. Wow. So you can imagine that. Okay. And in, in fact, in one of the villages where we stay in Sapelovo, there's a lady by the name Anthula, Anthula Guri, and she wears black. And she's a typical, typical example of a Greek widow. Very merry, <laughs> a merry <laughs> widow, I might say. But uh, you see the Greeks in their traditional sort of state, if I may put it that way. Now, where exactly do you go? I mean, you're, you, it's a walking tour. It's northwest and central Greece and also Skopelos um, Island. Yes, yes. So when, when does that particular tour, does it go at the same time every year? Are the dates pretty much around the same time? The first tour starts on the 16th of April and it runs to the 1st of May. 1st of May, it's 16 days, including travel time. That's next year. So people, next people year. the booking is already yeah. opened now. Yeah. Yes, yes, okay. yes. That is the one for northwestern and central Greece plus Skopelos Island. A month after that, we go to the Peloponnesos and Kithira Island. And that starts on the 16th May and it ends on the 31st of May. It's also 16 days. 
Uh, let me just explain something about, about the Peloponnesos. I say Peloponnesos because that is the way one of the Greek, the Greeks told me you should pronounce it. She said, you know, when I was in primary school, the teacher taught us the pronunciation and he said Peloponnesos. Okay. <laughs> so now it's, Karen, it's Peloponnesos. I will remember, remember, I will practice, I will practice that. You will practice that. The mainland Greece is actually divided into two. The northern part, where we go, well, we're very far up north, in the northwestern part, actually. It's very close to the Albanian border. But the whole mainland is divided in two by the Sea of Corinth. And the Peloponnesos is south of the Sea of Corinth. So we're going to the Peloponnesos, and then south of the Peloponnesos is the island Kithira, which is a very beautiful island with waterfalls, etc., etc. Beautiful. So the, the first one, let's talk about the first one, the northwestern central Greece and Skopelos Island. Now, you said that's 16 days that you're yeah. going to be walking around. Um, and how does, your, how does it work? You sort of, is it what, day by day you go from one little village to the other, or how does it work? Yes. When you start walking... We, we walk for the day, okay? Around about lunchtime, when we get to a small village, we have lunch there. And sometimes we come back to the village where we were overnighting. But when we move on to a, a next village, we walk to that village. Sometimes we're taken by vehicle to the next village. But we overnight two, two nights per village in the northwestern Greek section, two nights in Sapelovo then two nights in Vitsa and two nights in Mikropapingo. And then we go to central Greece. There we overnight one night. The monasteries are in central Greece and we stay in a village very close to these cliff tops where the monasteries are. Very beautiful, something also completely different. From there we go across the mainland to the east coast. We go to the harbour city of Volos. There we get the boat, we board the boat, and it's a trip of just under three hours to Skopelos Island. First the boat goes to Skiathos, which is a neighbouring island. Then it goes to the port of Glossa at Skopelos. Then it goes around the northern coast of Skopelos to the main village, which is also called Skopelos or Hora. We therefore four nights and we also walk on the island but there people can do pretty much as they please you know there's lots of free time there is an organized walk if they want to but i find that people mostly want to do their own thing there the beautiful beaches it's just terrific <laughs> how many times <laughs> have you done this tour I started the, the walking tours in Greece in 2007 so this next year will be the seventh year but I started my tours to Greece 23 years ago. So I'm just passionate about What was Greeks. it about Greece? What, what is it that drew you there? Karen, the Greeks are warm-hearted, hospitable people. You know, the Greek hospitality, the philoxenia, is, is, is amazing. It's, people are so kind. Once you get to know them, you travel. They are so kind. And you, you know, we sort of get lost and you, you're trying to find your way. Where's this road going to? Where's that? They would not just direct you in the direction you should go, but they would also ask you, with the English not being very good, they would say tsai or coffee or cork. They would invite you in or give you something to eat. Or very, very hospitable. They are dear people. And the Greeks are, they fighters, you know, they fighters. They've been through so many diasporas. They've been through also atrocities of the Second World War. They've been through a, a civil war. And they're surviving, you know, they're surviving. Because there was, there's a lot of history. I mean, Greece is one of those places where there is just an awful lot of history. If people are into that kind of thing, do you see anything? Is any of that history still there for people to see? Yes. Well, obviously the ancient sites, mm. you know, all that, especially the Peloponnesos tour, where we go to Mistras and ancient Mistras and uh, those places, you know, the sites, they are, I mean, so many ancient sites. And of course, when you go to the Acropolis and all, all those those well-known sites. Is that part of this of the second tour? Do you see it's more of, of those kinds of, of buildings it, than on a, the it, first one? 
No, it's a it's a good mix. Okay. I would say it's a good mix. But the northwestern Greece twirl, which is close to the Albanian border, is just totally different. And why I say that is because of the road only being completed in 1984. So people, before that, people had to make use of the footpaths. Uh, they had to put all this stuff on donkeys and, and the horses. Those footpaths are centuries old and we walk on some of those footpaths now in 1984 when they connected the villages with a road a proper road that was the first time that people could actually put their furniture on a truck and you know go to Yanina the city of Yanina of Athens or it's as if you are ages back in time it's just completely different you mentioned that the English wasn't very good. Is the language a problem or do you speak Greek? I don't speak Greek. I only know You're doing pretty few well the few words. words I've heard you say so far. <laughs> well, all the Greek <laughs> listeners, please have, have mercy and patience. No, I know only a few words. It's Of course, it's a very difficult language. Mm. There's, a, there's an Englishman who published a book, How to Learn Greek in 25 Years. Oh, it's so... so. <laughs> But you've only been going for 23 you, years, so they, okay. It gives you some idea. No, but you know, it just opens the hearts of the Greeks when you say thank you in their language, you say good morning, you greet them, you say thank you, you know, the, but the I think usual. it's like that anyway. I mean, if you yes, make the effort yes, to be absolutely. polite in their language, yeah. I mean, you'll have that re yeah. response anywhere in the world, yeah, I think. Absolutely, you know. absolutely. No, I just love the Greeks. I, I just I just love them. They are very, very kind-hearted people. And uh, because I've been going there for so many years, you know, I've made Greek friends there. And it's just, you know, we, I think that's with every nation. Once you get to know people, you know, you pass that stage of you overnight at their place or one, once or twice. You've actually become almost like acquaintances mm. or friends, good friends, actually. I'm just, <laughs> I just love can't it. Wait for the, I just for love the, Greece. Can't wait for the 16th of April next year to go off again. But just in practical terms, just to let people know, basically you leave from Cape Town, the, the tours are priced from Cape Town and Johannesburg. Yes. The tours, obviously, with you being in the Western Cape, you would be on the flight from the Cape Town yes, leg. Yes, um, And you go via Abu Dhabi to Athens. Yes. And then yes. from Abu Dhabi to Athens, and then from Athens you spend the most wonderful, I would imagine, 15 days walking because you would have had a day in transit. A bit less than, Just, yeah, a yeah. bit less than 15, yeah. And so then off you go. And the second uh, one we mentioned, that was the 16th to 31st of May. That also is via Abu Dhabi to Athens. Yeah. And that is the Peloponnesos. Peloponnesos. Oh, 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 oh. Almost there, almost there. Peloponnesos. The second tour is the Peloponnesos, yes. and that's Kathira Island as well. And that's yes. the 16th to the 31st of May. As I said, also legs from Cape Town to Johannesburg via yes. Abu Dhabi to Athens, and yes. then and you are yourself personally on these tours yes. as their tour guide yes. local, but you do have yeah. a Greek tour yeah. guide with you yeah. as well. Karen, I'm not a tour guide. I'm the owner of Senior Tours, and I'm the tour leader. I the accompany, tour leader, okay. Yeah, I accompany all my tours as tour leaders. I have professional guides um, in Greece doing the guide work. They are all people with tertiary education. Uh, that is a profession, and they are very good. Now, the cost of these tours, Annalisa, that includes, you mentioned a few times, you take a boat from here to there, and you do this, and you're overnighting, yeah. and you're having your meals here. The cost of the tour, does, yeah. what, does that include now everything? Inclusive of the first one, the one to the northwestern and central Greece plus Skopelos Island. From Cape Town, it's 27461 Rand. 27461 and from Johannesburg it's 25989 that is all inclusive that means it includes every day's breakfast every day's main meal plus in northwestern Greece I've included four lunches as well it includes the Schengen visa for those who wow, okay. don't that's not a cheap thing yeah. Uh, it includes the tips up to age 69. It includes the travel insurance. You just take money, pocket money, if you want drinks. And with also your airfares? Food. Yes, of course, airfares, yes. And all yes, the boat excursions, all of that. So everything. That's, when you pay that, literally, you don't have to worry about anything yeah. else. You just have to take pocket money. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that's actually not a bad price then. You take your own pocket money, not somebody else's pocket money, Karen. Remember. Okay, all right. So I shouldn't ask my husband for his pocket <laughs> money. Okay, right. I'll have to find my own. Rob your own piggy bank. <laughs>
But it, it sounds like a really good deal, I mean, especially if it includes things like the airfares and the Schengen visa, because that is not a yeah. cheap thing. Yeah. So you make arrange all those arrangements yes. for people yes. as well. Yes. So yes. you take yes. all the blood and sweat and tears out of traveling. We just go um. off and have a fabulous time walking through Greece. Karen, one of the, of the pleasures of being a tour operator is I enjoy seeing people enjoying the tours. I enjoy it when people come back and the people who've met one another on the tours keep contact. Uh, they make an effort to see one another again. I mean, that's nice. That's, I love it. That's, that's part of the joy of the work. I want people to love Greece. I want people to see the unknown Greece, you know, sort of the, the roads less, less traveled or the road less traveled. And I want them to come back and say, wow, that was fantastic. I did not know Greece was like that. I try not to take people to the touristic places. And I am by no means saying that one should not go to Thera or Santorini and, and Mykonos. There's a place for that too. But senior tours take people to the unknown Greece. And just bear in mind, it might be called senior tours, but you don't have to be a senior to no, go on the no, tour. No, 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 no. You just have to be no. reasonably fit, whatever age, you have reasonably to be, fit. Yes, you have to be walking fit. You have to be walking fit. Well, it sounds like a wonderful new way to investigate Greece and to discover some hidden treasures, yeah. I think. And it's the real yeah. authentic Greece. It's those small villages. It's the real people. It's not the big tourist attractions, mm -hmm. which is not a bad thing, as you've yeah. said. And yeah. some of your tours do include the usual historic sites and yes. buildings and things that most yes. of us would go to Greece to yeah. see. But it's also the little added bonus yes. of seeing the real people yes. in their yes. real environment, yeah. really. Yeah. Gordon, I would like people to... If the unlikely event occurs that you're bumping into somebody, it must be a Greek and not somebody from another country. It mustn't be a tourist. It must be a Greek. Well, we all go off and bump into some Greeks with Annalisa. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. That bumpy on. note. <laughs> no, pardon. That wasn't for That's so a much. bumpy note. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Karen, may I just greet the, greet, sorry, the Greek listeners as well? Um, I just want to say Evharisto, Evharisto Poli, and Kalinichta. Uh, that means thank you very much and um, sleep well. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Well, I was speaking there with Annalisa LaRue. She's the owner and tour leader for Senior Tours. And if you'd like to find out more, you can call her on 021-876-3095. 021-876-3095. And as we mentioned earlier, there are two tours taking place in April. Well, the one starts on the 16th of April to the 1st of May. That's to Northwest and Central Greece and to Skopelos Island. And I have to practice this now. The other one starts on the 16th. 16th of May and goes on till the 31st. It's the Peloponnesos, I think I got that right, plus Kathira Island. And booking is already open for that. So if you'd like to possibly go out and explore Greece on foot, give Annalisa a call at Senior Tours on 021-876-3095. And that's it for Time to Travel for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. And I'll be back with you next Monday evening just after nine with the Law Report. So join me then. If you need any information about something you've heard on the show this evening, you can email me on travel at safm.co.za. But right now, it's time for some late night music.